Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Cats at Night. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is John Katsimatidis. This is Cats at Night, the f- number one five o'clock show. And we're live. It's a TriCast on WABCradio.com, 770 on the dial, WLIR, and on AM 970, The Answer. And we have one great show for you today. Uh, we have in the studio, we have uh, Judge Richard Weinberg, a common sense Democrat, and a common sense Republican, Craig Eaton, uh, 10 years GOP chairman in uh, Brooklyn, and uh, Lydia Serrani, am I right? And um, we have one great show today. What's going on? Absolutely. We're going to be talking to Gordon Chang, Melissa DeRosa about the tightening governor's race here in New York, Steve Moore on the economy, oil, Dr. Peter Mikolos, some great medical advances. But first, we're going to talk to Professor Alan Dershowitz, just a couple of decades at Harvard Law School. He's written about, I don't know, 50 books. His latest book, The Price of Principle, Why Integrity is Worth the Consequences. Welcome back to Cats and Night, Professor Dershowitz. Before we get to Dershowitz, though... Breaking news, WABC. And that breaking news, steel dossier source Igor Denchenko has been acquitted of lying to the FBI. So we got Professor Dershowitz. It couldn't be better. Mm-hmm. Can you give us your reaction, Professor, to this stunning verdict? But, but first, everybody has to understand it first. Tell people who he is. He is the guy that uh, uh, prosecuted Durham. No, Durham is the prosecutor. Pro- yeah, Durham's, Durham's the prosecutor. Went after for lying to, to the, to the uh, FBI. Yeah. And, 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 yeah, and so what did the jury find? They found him not guilty on all four counts. That he lied. Right. That he lied to the FBI. That he lied or didn't lie? That they're saying that he did, did not. Well, they're not saying. They, that, they said they didn't prove they beyond a reasonable doubt that he lied to the FBI. About Professor the fake Dershowitz, steel dossier. Your, your comment? Yeah. Well, I predicted it. I said uh, on, I think on your show, but I certainly said it on a number of shows, that juries don't like uh, cases involving the FBI because juries know that the FBI is allowed to lie to uh, individuals. And, you know, you're not taking an oath. Uh, you're just having a conversation. And FBI agents often lull you or prosecutors lull you. Look what happened to Martha Stewart. She never got even tried for the crime that she was being accused of, but she went and told the prosecutors, and she was convicted of lying to them. But juries generally don't like that. And, uh, you know, Durham put his reputation on the line. He actually examined witnesses in this case. He not only investigated it, and so far he's uh, not done very well as uh, as a prosecutor. But this verdict didn't surprise me at all. I said in the beginning I thought the jury would have quit. Professor Stretch, it's a stretch because – they were going after him for, for information or intelligence, which he said he, got, he received from certain individuals, which he didn't receive. So, I mean, there's there so many layers of lies here that it, it's obvious well, that they were going to acquit it. Does anybody tell the there's truth something. in Washington? <laughs> you know, there's something else about these uh, perjury traps, the reason why Donald Trump should never testify in front of a committee. They often ask you questions that they know the answer to. Yeah. They already have the evidence, a tape recording or another witness, and they're not asking you the question in order to get more information. 
They're asking you to the question in order to get you to lie. And set you up. In order to set a trap for you. And that happens all the time. And juries don't like that. Uh, Professor Dershowitz, what I want to ask you about is there's a a theory out there, mostly propounded by Andy McCarthy, that says that Durham has done a great job because he's set out a real record against the FBI and their misuse of information and how they conducted themselves. So while he might have lost on the, the trial of an individual defendant, he's made the case against corruption in the FBI. What do you say about that? No, I think he's right. First of all, Andy McCarthy is almost always right. He is a brilliant analyst of the legal system, one of the very, very few. And he's one of these guys uh, like me and I think Turley who doesn't allow our political biases to influence our judgment. Uh, Andy, you know, he's on a different side of the politics than I am. But we often come to the same conclusion because we analyze the facts. And I think he's right about that. I think Durham did do a lot of good in getting information about the FBI, particularly about the FISA application and reapplication. But, you know, prosecutors are often measured more by their conviction and acquittal rate than by what they do outside of the courtroom. But that's a mistake. He should be judged totally by what he does both inside and outside the courtroom. And also he has uh, the right under his authority, the grant of authority, to issue a report about his investigation. Isn't that correct? Well, you know, I don't like reports by prosecutors. I think prosecutors either should indict or shouldn't indict. But often these special prosecutors are given the right to issue reports. Look, the Star Report obviously was infamous in that direction. Um, uh, and uh, I, 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 if he writes a report, it should be fair and balanced and objective. Right now, people just don't trust reports. The Congressional Committee, the January 6th Committee, is going to issue a report. I wouldn't use it to wrap a fish. I mean, it's absolutely worthless when you have seven, seven Democrats and two anti-Trump Republicans writing a report. They could have written the report before they took a single uh, witness, single piece of evidence. So the reports are never any better than the objectivity of the people who write them. Didn't Comey's people might be good. Hmm? Didn't Comey actually write the report before they interviewed Hillary Clinton? <laughs> uh, I don't know, but he didn't. I mean, he made a mistake. He didn't issue a report. He just made a press statement. Right. That may, of course, serve the election. Maybe not. When nobody will ever know, and she believes that, but nobody will ever know. I have a question. So the Steele dossier, we know it was fake, right? We know that Trump never colluded with Russia. Right. This guy, Dechenko, he was the source. So how could they not find him guilty for lying when we know that the Steele dossier was fake? So I know there has to be intent, but explain it to me. We know it was fake. We know the information was fake that he gave it. So how could he not be found guilty for lying to the FBI? Vagueness. The judge said he dismissed it due to vagueness. It was vague. And, you know, usually if you want to convict somebody for lying, it has to be black and white. And in his case, it was a matter of degree and interpretation. And uh, but look, do you remember part of the report was that the Russians had something on Trump that he was doing this and that in a bedroom with prostitutes? And, you know, all of that turned out to be totally made up and totally false. And I don't think we've gotten in yet to the bottom of that. Where does where did that come from? We know some of the sources, but we don't know quite how closely it was connected to uh, individuals, particularly to people in the Democratic Party. So I think there's more information to be gotten, but criminal cases aren't the best way to get that information because criminal cases are not a search for truth, like science is a search for truth. You have reasonable doubt. So something could be true, but the jury is going to find against it because it isn't true enough based on certainty of beyond a reasonable doubt. 
So there are better ways of getting at the truth than criminal trials. Professor Dershowitz, is Donald Trump an anti-Semite? There is that truth Absolutely social not. message. I, I'm looking at it right here. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he said no president has done more for Israel than I have. I'm not understanding why all of a sudden all the headlines are stating that he's an anti-Semitic person. His daughter became Jewish, right? His grandchildren are Jewish. No, it's an absolute categorical lie. I have to tell you, I had dinner with President Trump a number of times, and every time he made the same statement to me. And do you think I would sit at the same table with somebody who I thought was making an anti-Semitic comment? Of course not. He makes a good point. The point is that he was the best president for Israel, and yet Jews vote against him. My answer was very simple, Mr. President. The reason is because Jews don't vote only on Israel. We vote on abortion, on gay rights, on climate control, on gun control. And on balance, Jews, a lot of Jews appreciated what you did for Israel, Jerusalem, and the Golan Heights. But it wasn't enough to shift them from their historic commitment to the Democratic Party And I said, Mr. President, don't take it personally. The Jewish people show great appreciation for what you did in Israel. They just don't vote for you. At least 70 percent don't vote for you. So this is something he's been talking about for a long time. There isn't even a smidgen of anti-Semitism in it. But but if you read the Twitter, the the comment, no president has done more for Israel than I have. I mean, he's clearly a friend of Israel with all that he's done while he was president. And nothing here relates to anti-Semitism. It's just, it's a stretch. It's a total stretch. Of course not. Look, maybe Truman did more for Israel than he did, but (laughs) following Truman, there's no president who's ever been done as much and probably no president who's, who's done as least as, as, as Obama did, particularly in his second term, although he did protect Israel's defense system, but diplomatically, he was the worst president. So, you know, but Jews voted for him. Because we're, we're not single-issue voters. We vote on a complexity of issues. We also vote on memories. When I grew up in Borough Park in Brooklyn, the Democrats were first, the liberals were second, the communists were third, and then the Republicans were fourth. Uh, you know, there were no Republicans in Brooklyn when, in those days. And so we all voted for Roosevelt. And, you know, he was, he was the guy who, who determined our votes. And history is difficult to change. So, you know, Jews are going to keep voting Democrats. And, and, and Roosevelt was the one that sent away the, uh, the entire ship uh, of Jews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we didn't know that then, of course. And you learn new things. You learn new facts. And you learn that nobody's perfect. You learn that every hero has clay feet. Just another shot at Donald Trump. That's all it is. I guess it was a slow news day. So yeah. I figured this is the only thing they could find. I also want to get your guys' reaction to President Biden. He had another gaffe today. I want you guys to take a listen to it and tell me what you think. The right that I pushed hard and it finally got changed, the married couples in the privacy of their bedroom, excuse me, the mar- I'm thinking about the Dobbs, the Dobbs decision. Imagine, well, I'll get to that in a second. <laughs> okay. I don't know about you, Professor Dershowitz. I hear that I'm plenty scared. It is incomprehensible. And John, the look on John's well, face said it all. I'm, sc- I'm scared. This I'm guy scared. has his finger on the button. <laughs> well, let, let, me, let me give you the optimistic part of it. I've known Joe Biden since 1980 when I worked with him on Ted Kennedy's campaign for president, the one he lost to Jimmy Carter. Joe Biden hasn't changed very much. He could have done the same thing back in 1980. You know, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit more. But I don't see the dramatic change that I think many people see. I hope, I hope, I hope he's fine. And I, 
you know, I hope uh, he, he – but it, look, if I have to pick a president not to put his finger on the button, I, I would put Biden pretty high up on that. He's very close. He'd be my, he'd be my number one draft choice not to have the finger on the button. But it's getting worse. Yeah. It's getting worse. Every day he opens his mouth, it gets well, worse the, the, and the worse. Question, wait, wait, the question. Yeah. What happened in Afghanistan? His generals say, we're not doing it right. He tells the generals, I'm the chief uh, <laughs> commander-in-chief. Commander you do what I tell you. And okay. they did the wrong. The generals had to do the wrong thing. Uh, Suppose he, he orders a, a button to be I pushed. Know, I know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do the generals do when he says, I'm the commander-in-chief and push it? Mm-hmm. Well, I think they have no choice. But they, How we, can you we, do we, that? Have, we need to have some kind of a a stopgap in place because, I mean, someone needs to stand up and say something's going on in Biden's head. We need to reevaluate what we're doing here because there's so much at stake. 26th I mean, Amendment, Professor Tershers? I don't think we're going to get to that. I, I think the call – I think the call, I think the call dropped. Uh, but Well, why don't we take a, a break and we'll go to Dan, uh, Gordon Shank. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night show. We still got a great show for everyone. We'll be speaking with Melissa DeRosa, talking about the governor's race and crime and the MTA. Steve Moore on the economy. We'll talk about oil. And it looks like there's a report out that the Biden administration wants to drain our oil supply even further before the midterm elections. Dr. Peter Mikolos, he's got some medical breaking news you don't want to miss. But first on the line, we've got Gordon Chang. You can find him on Twitter at Gordon G. Chang. He's always on top of what's going on around the world. Gordon Chang, tell us what is going on with China. It seems like I know the economy is failing. Fill us in. Yeah, the economy is failing, Lydia, and thank you so much. Um, And this is really graphically highlighted to the international community when Beijing did not report its September and third quarter economic and trade results. This has never happened before of China skipping the anticipated announcement dates. This is a real indication that um, the economy didn't do well. They don't want to say anything embarrassing to Xi Jinping, the Chinese ruler, during the Communist Party's 20th National Congress. China's just fallen apart. Well, so what, what is the status of the election? I mean, is he elected now? Is it official yet? Uh, not yet. Um, the 20th Congress is slated to end, we think, on Saturday. On Sunday will be the first plenum of the 20th National Congress. And that's when um, there's going to be the election of the Politburo and the Politburo Standing Committee. And that's when the Politburo Standing Committee, which is the apex of political power in China, the guys walk out from behind the curtain. And that's when we will know whether Xi Jinping has gotten his precedent-breaking third term as general secretary. Understood. Now, some, somebody made a comment with me. Every time there's elections in China every 10 years, a million people may die. Is that that the new power gets rid of the old uh, the people that were uh, challenging them? Yeah, every general secretary, every new general secretary wants to wipe out the uh, the supporters of the predecessor. And that, that's happened. Xi Jinping has jailed tens of thousands. So he's done that more maliciously than his predecessors. But, you know, the point here is, yes, there's an election, quote unquote, every five years. But really in China, there's an election every day because any day Xi Jinping could find himself out of power. 
it's a it's a system where they don't have a constitution which has real rules in it. This is a very different system from ours. So although they do have these elections every five years, it could take any place at any time, John. Wow. Gordon, it's, it's Richard Weinberg. I know you've written about this in Gatestone, and I've read about it also in the, in the Wall Street Journal, about how bad a job we're doing in supporting the United States military against China and how they're outclassing us on virtually every level. Could you comment on that? Yes. Well, there's a couple of problems. Um, first of all, China has better weapons than we do. And this is not because Chinese scientists or technicians are better than ours. They steal stuff from us. But even more important, we've had a series of presidents who have decided not to build weapons that the Chinese and Russians were building. And, of course, the American people should be outraged by that. You know, the United States military is still stronger, but the U.S. military is not as capable as it appears. And this is a result of decisions made by a series of presidents not to take those actions that are necessary to protect ourselves in the face of threats from Moscow and Beijing. And Gordon Cheng, I, speaking of what you just mentioned, Judge Weinberg, according to a new report by the Heritage Foundation in its annual Index of U.S. Military Strength, it claims that the U.S. military may not be able to win one war, let alone two, as the Pentagon struggles to keep its forces equipped against potential threats from China and Russia. So it's it's pretty scary that we're hearing this. And we know that China wants to take over the world, not just the United States, correct? Right. And then and, and China's uh, officials have talked about the moon and Mars as sovereign Chinese territory. So we should add the near parts of the solar system to planet Earth. Um, but, you know, there's a number of problems right now. Um, but one of them that doesn't get talked about very often is that we have senior officials in the Pentagon, both civilians and three and four stars, who have uh, don't have a sense of urgency of the threat from China. So they are building, you know, they have these plans which don't take into account that China could actually move against us a lot sooner than they think. So we have conscious decisions made by uh, very senior officials and generals and admirals that are making us less capable at a time when we need to defend against a militant China. And part of that is that culture of, of wokeism. They're so busy teaching political correctness at the military academies and in the Pentagon itself that they're not paying attention to what they should be paying attention to. Absolutely, Judge. Um, there is uh, basically you need cohesion in units. And this whole notion of critical race theory, of um, you know the division in societies, this is not helping um, these, this coercion, which you need. You need people to trust each other when their lives are on the line. And unfortunately, the Biden administration, um, like administrations before it, has allowed the teaching of um, this wokeness. But it, it's, it's, this is just one of a series of problems in the Pentagon. I mean, we have got a someone's got to really clean out the place because you have got uh, senior officials who have been making atrociously bad decisions for a very long time. Gordon Chang, I want to ask you about the fentanyl. It's pouring across our borders. We know it's coming from China. People are saying, well, why would a drug dealer want to kill its customer? Why is China giving the Mexican drug cartels all this fentanyl? What's it about? Is this uh, the poisoning of America? Is this some sort of chemical attack? 
by the Chinese on on our children, on our youth, on America? As they say, fentanyl is a weapon of mass destruction, and the Communist Party is using it to weaken American society. And, you know, these fentanyl gangs, these Chinese fentanyl gangs, they're large, they're well-organized, they're international in scope. And in China's total surveillance state, they cannot operate without the knowledge of the Communist Party and without its blessing. And also, these Chinese gangs, um, they sometimes send fentanyl through this, uh, the Chinese state postal system. Um, when they send it through containers, we got to remember that every container that leaves China gets inspected. Also, the fentanyl gangs are laundering their proceeds through the Chinese state banking system. You know, the Chinese do this because they can get away with it. We've had three presidents in particular. Last names are Obama, Trump, and Biden, who's known what's going on, who had the means to stop this, but who chose not to do so. So, yes, the Chinese are criminals. They want to kill America. They want to take down our society. But we've had a series of presidents who have not protected us. We elect our presidents to protect us. They haven't done it. We should be outraged. You know, Gordon, you, you raise a good point. This is Craig Eaton. So, so, it's, so they get to destroy the country, which is what they want to do, and at the same time make millions of dollars from doing it. Absolutely. Yep. I mean, there is no question about what's going on here. You know, we've had presidents, they try to deal with China on this, but they know that the Communist Party is behind it. Um, so this is, this is really just an all-out attack on America. So how do you stop it, Gordon? You stop it by doing something that will really hurt uh, China. So, for instance, we could uh, close their four consulates. We could strip their embassy staff down to nothing. We could inspect every package and container from China. You know, there's a whole menu of things we can do because China needs us far more than we need them. But I'll give you one example. China uses TikTok to glorify drug use. Now, why do we allow TikTok to be um, downloaded and seen in our country when China does not allow our apps in China? Um, you know, Trump, President Trump, towards the end of his term, took some steps to get TikTok out, tried to ban it. But Biden, one of the first things he did was he dropped the lawsuits uh, on TikTok. Yeah. I mean, this is a very that was ridiculous. That, we could do. that was ridiculous. Uh, thank you, Gordon Chang. We we got another uh, guest on on the other line. But thank you, Gordon Chang, and we'll be talking to you later in the week. Uh, text me when you know something more about what's going on, and we'll have you on. Well, thank you so much, John, and I really appreciate it, guys. And thank you. It's at Gordon G Chang. His Twitter. And you'll be up to date on what he has to say. Uh, and on the line with us uh, right now is a former congressman, Anthony Weiner, and WABC host. Uh, Anthony, what's going on? No, we're doing okay, John. How are you? You guys must be excited. It looks like uh, like Delvin is closing the gap a little bit here. Uh, well, no, I'm you know I'm a middle of the road person. You know that, uh, Anthony. Uh, tell us. Uh, I mean, we got Craig Eaton here, and give us your opinion uh, where where the uh, New Yorkers are at the uh, governor's race. Well, it, look, another poll came out today. The average is now about nine point six of the polls that have been out recently. It's it's closing, and the one the two that came out recently, Siena and Quinnipiac, these are solid polls. You know, I always say you don't look at any one poll and fall in love with it, but there does seem to be a trend of tightening. In New York, you know, there is a concern among Democrats, and we see it a little bit in the Senate races, that the Democrats may have peaked a little bit too soon. Some of the energy of the 
abortion message may be lost. Some of the energy of the January 6th hearings may be lost. But um, if you're Zeldin, you, I, I, you know, here's the tell. You know I have been beating this drum for a while. I think Kathy Hochul should be doing a bunch of debates here. No one really knows who she is yet. I think she's going to win, and I think she has the better issues in terms of New York State voters. But the fact that she's been ducking the debates, I bet you now with these— Would you send your son by himself in the subway? It's got to be a no. Oh, yeah. It's got to be a no. He said no, yes. For, look, for, first of all, look, I, I think the, this you, is a high You could be accused of not being a good father. You, you, know, you know what, Every Anthony? Every one of us—here's what, what all of us on this call have in common. We all remember the high crime times of the 90s, which are much higher than they are today. But I tell you what is different today. The amount of just kind of— of mental health issues that seem to be on the streets today, and they're no more dangerous than anyone else, but one or two of them making headlines makes people dangerous, makes people nervous. And the fact that there's a lot of closed doors, in fact, that there are fewer people in open, uh, in open businesses, I think makes it appear to be a lot worse. But we, we know. We've all seen w- worse Anthony, times. Anthony, I think it comes down to uh, the November 8th. It comes down to whom do you trust to keep you safe after November 8th? Crime is the big issue. Crime is the big issue in New York City, and Lee is gaining in New York City right now. That's telling you something. Listen, I'm not complaining about anything about Hochul. I'm not complaining about anything about Zeldin. All I want is our city to be safe and to be able to have people walk around without fearing for their lives. Anthony, I live in Bay Ridge, and Bay Ridge is the wild, wild west, they're calling it in the Daily News yesterday. The the people in in broad daylight are breaking into stores. Crime, crime is up. Crime is up an alarming amount. There are other things on the no, ballot. No, it's the too, violent you know. crimes. I don't care about. Yeah. If somebody stole a loaf of bread, I don't care. Yeah. It's yeah, the violent crimes. People being John, thrown off the subways. John, I disagree with you about this. I, I, walk, I walk in my in my neighborhood. The fact that people are going in and in a, a Dwayne Reed in a, a Rite Aid and they went back to all the drugstores are closing. Right. None of those people. None of those people are with individual acts being violent. But I think it's leading to this kind of lawless state we have in the city. That's a problem. I do I think they got to focus on that as well. I agree with uh, Congressman Weiner. As but, much as it kills me, I agree with uh, Congressman. Congressman, too. although statistically crime is not as high as it was in the '90s, you have to admit that crime does seem to be more sporadic, and it seems like there is no safe neighborhood. Right. Well, well that, look, we got to take up. a hard break. Take uh, 10 seconds. So crime is up everywhere, but uh, listen, this is a problem in New York, no doubt about it. It's not up in Florida. Thank <laughs> you so much. <laughs> Anthony, Congressman Anthony Weiner, thank you so much. And you can listen to Anthony Weiner on, on Saturdays at, uh, at uh, what is it, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night show. We still got a great show for everyone. We'll be talking to Steve Moore about the economy, OPEC oil. Are we going to run out right as we're on the precipice of winter? Also talk to Dr. Peter Mikolos. He's got some breaking medical news you don't want to miss. But first on the line, we have Melissa DeRosa. She's a former secretary to Governor Cuomo. Right now, she is a Democratic strategist based right here in New York City. Welcome back to Cats at Night, Melissa DeRosa. Melissa. I understand you got a uh, uh, you're now writing for the Daily Beast. Yes, I have been writing for the Daily Beast for the last several months. I, I do columns pretty much monthly at this point. Great, and and, and tell us uh, uh, 
all there's there's polls that are all, all over the place. You first of all, do you believe any of the polls? And where do you think the election? We got like twenty days left. Uh, where do you think we are? So I think that the polling that we've seen both last week and this week, particularly in the governor's race, the Hochul Belden race. Um, is interesting. You know, you're, what you're seeing last week, you saw an eight-point spread. This week, Sienna, you see 11 points. You see Marist comes out with four points. I don't think that it's as close as the poll that came out today saying it's four points. But I think the larger issue for Hochul, which if I were, you know, on her team right now, I would be concerned about, is it's the trend. It's the overall trend. And what you're seeing is that as we're getting closer to Election Day, And as crime and the economy continue to be top of mind for people rightly, I think, in New York City and New York State in general, you're seeing Lee Zeldin pick up steam. And what's interesting is when you actually drill down on the numbers, you wonder, you know, is this a a phenomenon, Democrat, Republicans going home, independents breaking for Republicans. But when you look at the crosstabs and you see that Chuck Schumer's lead has not been affected in the last several weeks in these different polls, he still maintains, you know, between a 15 and 20 point lead. It's not closing the same way it is with Hochul. So there's something specific going on in the Hochul race. And if I were them, I would be concerned. Well, you know, it seems like uh, uh, New Yorkers are getting very, very much concerned about the the crime in the city. I mean, I just asked – I had Anthony Weiner on just before the U, and I asked him, would you allow your son to go down the subway? And I don't – you know – and he said yes, and I don't – I I just – couldn't do that to my son uh, at that age. Well, well, what say you, uh, Melissa? You know, I think that there's a real disconnect between politicians on the left and everyday people in the city right now. And crime is not a political issue. I think that politicians politicize it on both sides. But feeling safe or not feeling safe is just a way of life. And to your point, John, subways are a sacred space, right? You're going down underground. A lot of times your phone doesn't work. You're surrounded by strangers. You're in this metal box. Most people have to take the subway because they can't afford an Uber or they don't have a car in the city. So in order to get to and from work, they have no choice. So really, they're held hostage to the MTA. And the least the MTA and the city and the state can do is provide safe service. And right now, every day, you're seeing stories pop about people being pushed onto subway tracks where there's someone getting stabbed, somebody getting shot, people getting mugged. And the problem, I think, with the Democratic Party right now and politicians on the left is that they, is that they believe that they can convince New Yorkers not to feel something that they feel. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that politicians work for voters, not the other way around. And so when they're communicating to the people that they hire, that they put in office, I do not feel safe. And the politicians are responding by putting their head in the sand or trying to talk about statistics and explain to them why what they're seeing and feeling isn't real. It's not going to work. And so I think particularly in these polls, as we get closer, unless the Democratic politicians, Hochul specifically, but in general, get, you know, get smart to this. And the fact that, you know, New Yorkers are not stupid and it's a real issue, and they want it addressed and do something about it, I think that they're going to have an uncomfortably close election day. But I think in New York City, it's even tightening, which, which should be scary to, to Hochul. But, you know, crime, crime is a reality, and it's getting worse and worse. And, and look at last week, Melissa. In, in Lee's backyard, there was a shooting. I mean, you can't make this up. Front yard. No. Front I, yard, there I was know. a shooting. So you know what? I think people are looking at, in the street, and they're saying, 
The streets are getting more and more dangerous. I live in Bay Ridge. I was the Republican chairman in Brooklyn for 10 years. I've never seen crime to this degree. And you know what? We need a change. And people are saying we need to change. And how do you change it? We, maybe if we change the governor. And Lee is fighting on, you know, a pro-law enforcement, anti-crime platform. And I think people are looking at that. And I think that's the difference here. You know, and I, to your point, it's it's not just what Lee is saying. It's it's more what Hochul isn't saying. I agree. Know? Yeah, I agree. I think it's a combination. I yeah. That, I think that the state has a very big role in the MTA. And, you know, they have the majority appointments on the board. They select the chairman, the CEO. And she has been completely absent from the from the conversation, almost as if she has absolutely nothing to do with it. And I remember when I worked for the governor, we had a big fight in the city when de Blasio was mayor. And this was right before COVID in December of 2019. The governor wanted to put 500 cops on the subway. And we got letters from every Democratic member of the congressional delegation, members of the state Senate, de Blasio himself, his appointees voted against the plan. And they said, we don't want more cops on the subway. You're just going to criminalize fair beating and these other small crimes. And you should really just be focused on service. Well, the reality is no one cares if the train is on time if you're worried about getting shot on the train. Or getting pushed and, off or getting pushed off the, uh, the, the platform. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just don't understand. People don't want to come back to work That's right. because they're scared. A lot of them are scared. And look, I am middle-of-the-road person, Melissa. You know me. I mean, I, there's a lot of common-sense Democrats. Why are the common-sense Democrats don't have the courage to stand up against the, uh, the non-common-sense Democrats? Well, to your point, John, I think, and that's the thing, I think that voters respond to leadership and they respond to a lack of leadership. And right now, the silence out of state government, the governor's office, on subway crime is deafening. And the reality is people want to feel safe. That's their right. Yesterday morning, I saw on the news that somebody was pushed onto a subway track. Thank God the person was rescued. Hochul puts out her schedule, and she says that she's going to be making a public service announcement. And I was actually hopeful, and I was like, finally, they're going to say something about crime in the MTA. And what does she do? She does a press conference on catalytic converter theft. Who gives a damn about a catalytic converter? I worry about my kids going to the subway. I worry about my kids walking to to schools, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, absolutely. And I I just think that when there are really big problems, politicians have have a tendency to duck them when they think they can't solve them or try to avoid them. But this is one that's not going away. And so, you know, I saw this, these polls today, and I think that that's really what it's about. It's not across the board. Schumer's not seeing the same impact in his numbers. It's her specifically. And I really do think it's, it's a reaction to the lack of leadership on crime in the city and the state, um, and also, obviously, concerns around the economy and inflation. And generally, when those are our bigger concerns, you know, traditionally, Americans vote more Republican. Now, let me say, I do not think that Hochul is going to lose. I do not think that yeah. Lee Zeldin is going to be governor. But the fact that in 2022, someone that far to the right who is a Trump supporter in a yeah. state as blue as New York, it's it's incredible. It I, really I just is. Listen, uh, Melissa, uh, thank you for coming on today. But all I want is I want our, our citizens to be safe. That's all I want. From your lips, John. <laughs> God bless you, and we'll have you on again real soon. Thanks for having me. Talk soon. Bye. Thank you. Uh, and uh, today, we had an interesting visitor to our office. Uh, we have Dr. Ben Carson here. And Dr. Ben Carson has a new career. 
He, uh, uh, you know, he's he was a wonderful neurosurgeon, 15,000 operations. He was a great uh, secretary of uh, housing. And now he wants to make sure our kids are educated in American history. And uh, we're going to, we're going to do the, we did the, I did the interview and we're going to play it on Sunday, but we have a little bit of a tidbit for you right now. Let's play it. With us today is Dr. Ben Carson, and uh, he was a neurosurgeon, and uh, he served as Undersecretary of Housing and Urban Development. And now you want to dedicate yourself to making sure our kids growing up, that they're educated about the American way of life, uh, how we started. And, and that is, I think that is a wonderful thing, because yes. the way our youth go, so go our country. That's that's absolutely right, and and we don't hide anything. If you go through our series of lessons, uh, we talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. But the fact of the matter is, a lot more good than there is bad and ugly. You take things like the 1619 project and CRT; they only emphasize the bad and the ugly, and they make you think that this was a horrible place. But the fact of the matter is, if we were so horrible, why would people be forming caravans trying to get in here? And when they got here, wouldn't they call all their friends and family and say, don't come here, it's a horrible place. Of course that's not going on, is it? Nobody's breaking, trying to break in to get into Russia. Nobody's trying to break in to get into Venezuela or Iran. Exactly. But they're, trying, they're breaking in the, the gates to get into America. We have a wonderful country, and we need to do everything we can to preserve it, and we need to fight for it. Be willing to stand up for what you believe in. You cannot be the land of the free if you're not the home of the brave. I agree 100%, and uh, I will discuss with our WABC people how we could put uh, some of your podcasts and, and some of that those cartoons on our website for people to enjoy. They can come to AmericanCornerstone.org, and that's our mother uh, site, and it will disperse you to any of the other sites that you need to go to, AmericanCornerstone.org. AmericanCornerstone.org. Dr. Carson, you've done a great job. Uh, uh, pulling yourself out of Detroit. You've done Thank a you. great job operating on 15,000 people. You've done a great job as secretary uh, of uh, housing and now trying to educate our youth. Wow, that that was a great interview. And, and tune in for the entire interview with Dr. Ben Carson next Sunday in the Cats at uh, Roundtable. And uh, Lydia, who do we have calling in right now? We have Steve Moore. He was President Trump's top economic advisor. Welcome back to Cats at Night, Steve Moore. I'm just looking at this report now. President Biden set to announce the release of millions of oil barrels from the U.S. Reserve right ahead of the midterms. Is this true? Gosh. Well, by the way, my most important title is I am the host of the More Money Show on WABC. Every Saturday right after Cudlow, between 1 o'clock and 2 o'clock. I love so we have a lot of fun. By the way, and I love listening. You know what, John? And yeah, I love What I love doing about that show is listening to your listeners, because I always take callers, and they have the most profound ideas about what's going on with the economy. And so it's a, it's a real privilege. But And by the way, congratulations, John, on what amazing job you've done with this radio station. So uh, the question was, um, are they going to release more oil from the reserves? It looks like they may 
they take every drop, every spoonful <laughs> we got out of these reserves. It's outrageous. Uh, we now have the lowest level since about the end of 1983 when Ronald Reagan started building up the reserve in the first place. It is a disgrace. We should be producing three or four million barrels more oil a day here in the United States. Then we wouldn't have to worry about OPEC. We wouldn't have to deplete our reserves. We wouldn't, you know, in, in California, uh, guys, a, a friend of mine just uh, sent me a text. They're paying seven bucks a gallon for gasoline. Well, right now, uh, the Russians want $100 oil. The yep. Saudis want $100 oil. Yep. Uh, America wants $65, $75 oil. Who's right. going to win? Yeah, well, that's a good question. I mean, if we had a president who got tough with OPEC, by the way, do you guys recall hearing a lot about OPEC when Trump was president? No, because we were producing so much oil. We were the number one oil and gas producer, as you know, John. So we have played into the hands of our enemies. That's what's so disheartening about the Biden policy. I mean, we are we are uh, putting money into the pockets of Vladimir Putin, the Chinese, the Iranians, the Venezuelans, the Saudis. I, you know, from a national security and an economic standpoint, it makes absolutely no sense. It increases our trade deficit. And now, by the way, John, did you see that Biden is now talking about um, getting rid of allowing our American oil and gas companies to export oil, which is a really bad idea because that's going to even lead to less production in the United oh States. Uh, this stuff makes no sense. It makes no sense. And a new report also came out that most Americans, the average American, has lost about $34,000 in their retirement fund. I, I mean, my husband and I looked at ours. I'm, it's, I, don't, it's, I don't even look at mine. It's dep- I'm afraid I, I literally, of looking I couldn't mine. sleep that night. Judge, I know you've... <laughs> I know, it's horrible. It's horrible. It's horrible. What, what, kind of, what advice could you give us Americans that are getting poorer by the minute because of Biden's economic policies? Well, you know, by the way, that that was the report put out by the Committee to Unleash Prosperity, of which John Katsimidi is among many hundreds of other titles. He is our honorary chairman. And we did this because we know that the average American has lost, uh, as you know, Janine, about $4,000 in purchasing power over the last year because of the high inflation. So we wanted to look at what's happened to people's retirement accounts. And if you're over the age of like 55, I'm 62, so you're in that 55 to 65 range. You've lost probably thirty-five to fifty thousand dollars in your in your four hundred one k plan. I don't know why any senior would vote for these Democrats. Senior citizens have been the biggest victims of the runaway inflation because their lifetime savings is vaporized by the effect of we had thirteen percent inflation since Biden came into office. You know what, Steve? This is Craig Eaton. You also have to look at so the stock market is crashing. Everyone's investments in four hundred one k's are crashing. And then the interest rates now on residential homes are going eight plus percent. Uh, so it's, it's you know, you, we're getting hit. We're getting hit from both sides. And, you know, yes, you've gained all this equity in your home. Well, it's, and now it's very simple, Craig. If you have a $500,000 house and you're paying 3% interest yeah. and you wanted to buy a million dollar house because you had a good year, but you have to pay 7% interest. Yeah. Why yeah. would you sell your house? You wouldn't sell it, yeah. And, and well, how can you buy the new house and pay 7% interest? I do a lot of real right. estate closings. The market has just stopped dead. There's well, nothing happening. It is. There was a new report out this morning about housing starts. Yeah. And those have collapsed as well because nobody can afford to buy a house right now. It's a really ugly picture. And housing, as you guys know, is a big part of our economy. I mean, look, can any of you tell me one thing that Biden has done right on the economy? Because I can't. No. I mean, $4 trillion no, there isn't anything. $7 a gallon gasoline. <laughs> Steve, the biggest Steve, it's Richard Weinberg. What do you mean? <laughs> Why are you limiting yourself to the economy? I'm out of control. 
that? He increased ice cream sales. No, yeah, really. Why, Steve, why are you limiting yourself to economy? I know you're an economist, but why just the economy? Name but one thing that well out the model, find out how much the uh, the, uh, the right the, the, the turkey the, right the turkey sandwich he always talks about. <laughs> well, you know there was a funny moment in a big debate this uh, about three or four days ago between Herschel Walker and Raphael Warnock in Georgia. We're all watching that Senate race very closely. It could determine who runs the Senate, you know, in 2023. And so Herschel, who had had a bad few weeks, let's face it, he really came out hitting and and uh, he hit him right smack in the belly with. You know, what are you going to do about inflation? You're, you know, everything you guys have voted for has hurt the economy. And, and Ursula, what have you done right about the economy? <laughs> I'm not making this up. Raphael Warnock says, well, we're trying to bring down the price of insulin. It's like, <laughs> that's your best accomplishment in 20 months in office? So, you know, and by the way, everything else is up by about 9%. They, they're talking about, did you see this one? There's, they put out a big press release saying, oh, senior citizens are going to get a 9% COLA increase in their Social Security check. Yeah, you doofuses. That's because inflation for seniors is up 9%. Steve I Moore, mean, I'm going to be but, listening to you at 1 o'clock on Saturday, <laughs> right yes, after Larry Kudlow. Let's see what you have to say. Thank right, you so God, much I, for coming on. And we're going to take a break and we're going to come back with Dr. Peter Michalos. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katz Matidi's Cats at Night show. Now we have Dr. Peter Michalos. He's got some breaking medical news for us. Uh, some bad news on the long COVID, what a long haul COVID front. Tell us all about it. Well, great to be with you. Uh, the Cats at Night show, and uh, there are a record number of people in the United States who are filing for uh, disability, and we're seeing this condition called long-haul COVID that's lasting weeks or months. Sometimes it goes away, and it even it even it goes away and even comes back again. And what the the new news is, they're starting to piece it together and understand this better. And basically, it seems that there are lingering fragments of the virus that are in our system, and they're stimulating our immune system to cause these inflammations and the body is generating antibodies against uh, our, uh, against the virus and the spike proteins. But interestingly, these antibodies are also mistakenly attacking our own proteins, particularly the heart. And it's very different than the common cold or flu because we never had something like this. And in one uh, study that Johns Hopkins uh, website mentions, they're finding that up to 60% of people might be experiencing some of this heart inflammation. Some of it, they might be asymptomatic, but it might be explaining some of these symptoms. And also we're finding out that COVID is a clotting disease and that uh, on a microscopic level, it's basically causing these microstrokes in various organs and advancing the aging of our organs. And it's also, we're also finding that the virus attacks our gut microbiome, which we have talked about, and those are the bacteria that are helpful in our intestine. And that's why people are having more problems like uh, things like um, diarrhea and stomach upset. But some of the symptoms to make our audience aware of are tiredness, fatigue, post-exertion, malaise, meaning you're tired after you do even minor exertion, you feel like you're out of breath, and again, the increased heart rate, and those might be associated with that heart inflammation and the persistent cough, uh, brain fog, inability to concentrate, sleep problems, dizzy spells, and persistent loss of smell and taste, which we've all heard about, and even mental because it goes through our nose and you lose the sense of smell, but it's trying to get up into the brain, which is an immune-privileged area to hide there, and that might be why we have brain fog. 
and the joint pain and even the menstrual cycle problems. And some women have even experienced ovarian cyst flare-ups. And uh, things like blood, EKG, and x-rays come back normal. And the other thing they're finding now statistically, this is also new news, is that there's an increased number of cases of diabetes, heart disease, and neurological problems that are happening after COVID. And what can we do to treat it? They are doing now experiments with anti-inflammatories like colchicine, for example. There are long-haul COVID centers and doctors who treat this, uh, even in our area here at, at great places like Columbia University and other institutions. And what they're using are like dexamethasone, a steroid, which is helping to calm the inflammation and telling the body, chill out. And that's why we're seeing some people who take immune suppression drugs, for example, people who've had transplants or people with arthritis, those people are actually faring better because their immune system is saying, calm down, don't get overly excited. And that's being helpful. And also some people are being put on blood thinners. But if you think you have long-haul COVID, please consult your physician and there are treatments, and even some vitamins like glutathione are being treated. Some centers are even using it IV, and it's a powerful antioxidant, and it seems to be helping with uh, lung damage in some of the studies and clinical trials that are being done. But we're learning more and more about it. But try to uh, stay healthy and uh, also try your best to stay thin because it seems that 78% of the people who did not fare well with COVID had problems with obesity and a high BMI, and uh, that, those are some of the things we need to work on. Dr. Mihalos, uh, when me and you a few years ago, uh, we were uh, looking at the anti-inflammatory test. I forget what they would call it. Yeah, the C-reactive protein, and also yeah. one of the things that happened. Now, would you, if you took that inflammatory test, would it tell you that your body is under attack with inflammation? Yes, yep. The ESR sedimentation rate is elevated. The C-reactive protein is another indicator of inflammation. I'm not a doctor, but I would advise people to take an ESR test to see if there is any inflammation in their system. And I think the, what was it, scale from 1 to 20 or something? It is, but the problem is many insurance companies won't pay it, and a lot of these tests that you need, for example, as you know, mercury levels, they won't check it unless you ask for it or you pay for it yourself. Yeah, no, so you, you, you got to pay for it because position. it's important. Dr. Michalos, thank you for uh, your input. We're out of time. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.